Radio TFS, episode number 64. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. Hey, Martin, how are you, man? I'm doing very good, thank you. We've got another special show for you today. Um, I've got my good friend and colleague on the line here. We've got Peter Provost with us. So Peter is a Principal Program Manager Lead for Microsoft Visual Studio ALM Tools, where he focuses on making Visual Studio the supreme environment for enterprise and agile developers. <laughs> Before joining the Visual Studio team, he managed the Patterns and Practices team, uh, an old favorite of yours, Greg, from yeah. back in the day. And in a past life, he was an MVP. We'll mention that word one more time. Uh, he was an MVP and a consultant. He's no longer an MVP, so he's kind of freed up some spaces. And a, he was a consultant in the Rocky Mountain region focusing on Microsoft Technologies, Agile Software Development Techniques. Uh, he plays bass in a rock and roll cover band, and he studies Kempo. He also loves speaking publicly about all things Agile, software development in general, and, of course, Visual Studio. Hey, Peter. Hello. How are you today? Very good. Great to have great to have you on the show. Thanks for sparing the time to come talk to the audience. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So, hey, Peter, um, I've been boring Greg for the past basically year on all things TFS 2013 related, and you know we've gone through how things have gone, and we probably spent far too much time talking about things like Team Explorer Everywhere and Git and stuff like that because that's kind of what I know. So, yeah, those are fun though. Oh, yeah, it's all good fun. But what we haven't spent enough time on is probably talking about, you know, the Visual Studio Premium and Visual Studio Ultimate. Mm -hmm. So I thought it'd be great to have you on and and kind of go through some of the stuff, you know, that's in the uh, 2013 release of Visual Studio. And we'll just drill down into that and, and, and talk about some of those features. Does that sound cool? Sounds fine to me. Okay, so let's start off. What what did your uh, what did your team work on then? What 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 have you been up to in the past uh, year since Visual Studio 2012? So you know we were very very early adopters and uh, encouragers of the uh, the update uh, channel for Visual Studio. We started pushing on this way back in Visual Studio 2010 when we shipped a set of things called the feature packs. And you know it took us a while to get the division and to get the rest of Visual Studio to embrace the idea of shipping four or five times a year. But, you know, after continued pushing, we we got into this model of these cumulative updates. And so for probably the first half um, of the year since uh, the 2012 release, we were focusing primarily on continuing to deliver and add value uh, in through those through those channels. And then for the second half, you know, we've been focusing our attention uh, predominantly on a set of new capabilities that are first going to appear uh, in the next version of Visual Studio. Um, you know, we we were very excited about the update channel opportunity and about what that let us do. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of constant and continuous delivery. I mean, I would honestly, I would, sh- I would probably ship the product every sprint if we had an easy mechanism to do it. Um, or, or just ship the whole darn product as a set of V6s on the gallery if I could get away with it. Uh, but, you know, we... Um, uh, the, the quarterly release let us let us really do some interesting things. You know, so we in uh, in the first update, we, you know, we we added uh, a capability into Visual Studio 2012 that we called CodeMap, <clears throat> and you know, CodeMap was the idea of a couple people on our team that basically said, you know, we've got these great diagramming and modeling techniques and tools that we put out back in 2010. But, you know, people aren't really using them because, you know, VS is a developer tool and developers don't really do a lot of that. So can we make this stuff useful for them? And the idea behind CodeMap was to say that, you know, if, if, if you and I walked up to a whiteboard and I said, hey, Martin, show me how, show me how the Git tools are put together on the inside, you'd start drawing circles and lines. Um, and so we had this idea of leverage the technology that we had inside of some of those tools to, you know, let you basically quickly draw circles and lines. And it sounds silly, but 
it should be, you know, something easy to do. So in, in that update one, we created this code map where you can, in the editor, just control backtick and boom, that appears on a little map for you and control backtick, another one and another one and another one. And it hooks them up when it knows the relationships and you can query it and ask it more questions and you can add more things and you can basically build that up as kind of a mental model assistant uh, while you're while you're build, while you're working on the code, and it just provides a different way of seeing and visualizing and thinking about the code. But it's it's just there for you as a developer. Um, and that was you know that was that was a lot of fun. We uh, we we started to very quickly get feedback from people that 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 was an excellent start, and and people were like, uh, okay, that's really cool. But um, and you know one of the buts that they went to next was um, I sure would like to be able to somehow use that with the debugger. Because that's an interesting place, right? I mean, if you think about it, debugging really hasn't changed in, what, 20 years, to be completely honest. You got your call stacks, you got your variable watch windows, and you got your breakpoints and you're stepping, right? Every tool in the world. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of times when you're looking at the call stack, God, man, that's just a gigantic list of words, <laughs> right? And right. there might be a better, way to, a better way to leverage that. So uh, in update two, then, we created this, a bit, the ability for you to basically take the call stack graph as it is, and in one one click, pop that into a code map, and it it really is the call stack. You can interact with it like the call stack. As you step, as you hit breakpoints, the same icons you're familiar with in the editor appear in the map, and you can leverage that. And now as you're stepping, you can watch the call frame move. Uh, you can see various branching paths that happen, and you don't see those in a, in a flat list like the call stack is. You know, and that's uh, that has really proven to be, I think, where the code map is really starting to shine, is where you're starting to use it in a very interactive way and not just as a notepad. So that's uh, that's one uh, one area where we uh, kind of went after um, uh, providing this continuous value, this idea of, of constantly shipping value to people uh, in the updates. Another one that's... Is this, sorry to interrupt, Peter. Yeah. Is this, yeah. this is different from the um, architecture tools as well. You know, we used to, we've still got the architecture layer validation stuff. This is this is different from that, is it? Yeah, so those those basically were created, you know, when we started those back in 2008, 2009, you know, the, the intention was that the target audience for those was architects, was designer people. Um, the layer diagram, a little bit less. Like, the layer diagram was meant to kind of be a crossover, uh, and to allow developers and teams to use it uh, as a validation model, and in that way, it's 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 an extremely valuable tool. But um, the technology underlying a lot of those things is, you know, primarily about you know lines and and boxes and and the layout associated with those. And it it sounds like kind of boring technology, but at the same time, it's actually quite interesting technology. And you know, we ended up using a lot of Microsoft Research tech to make all that happen. Um, you, you guys, you guys remember the Architecture Explorer, that uh, that tool window that sits at the bottom. Yep, yep. Right. So, so that thing was typically used as a way of feeding a query into our DGML surface, right? Circles and lines. Um, and the the idea of the DGML surface and the idea of it having a query behind it, and then that you can query on it and that it can couple into your code. That technology is what sits underneath and makes CodeMap possible. But CodeMap was designed. Instead of being targeting these architect designer ivory tower people, it's meant to design to target people who work, people who write code for a living, give value to them, uh, and that's really, uh, really where kind of that features uh, came from. Was was basically saying, you know, let's let's leverage these tools that we already have, leverage our investment in these areas to to bring value to you know guys who write code for a living. So, Peter, I got a question for you now. Is uh... sure. 
code map is that coming forward in 2013 is that getting an improvement or is that basically going to stay as is so we have made continued investment in uh in code map and we've got some plans currently brewing that i'm not certain they're going to make the 2013 rtm um but are certainly targeted for the you could say the wave of 2013 if 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 you think of 2012 plus its updates was a wave. There will be there will be a similar wave for 2013. Um, it's it certainly is part of that family. Uh, I'm unfortunately not at liberty to say exactly what all those things are, but it is not an area that we are ignoring. Uh, we are seeing, without a doubt, uh, customer usage and interest in this. I mean, our our uh, telemetry data is indicating that right now, CodeMap and DebuggerMap are some of the most used uh, premium slash ultimate features. Uh, in the product, which tells us we did the right thing there in those in those updates. Right. One thing I'm enjoying about some of the stuff you've been doing this time around, you know, in previous releases, Ultimate's kind of felt like Visual Studio for the for the lead developer slash architect on the mm-hmm. team, and like nobody on else on the team kind of needed it. You know, it was just for the the one guy kind of poking around doing some stuff. Whereas now the CoMap stuff, and you've been doing some other things as well. Um, in terms of like the heads-up display features that I saw at TechHead, that, that, those sorts of things look really cool for day-to-day developers to actually use as well. Do you want to talk about those a bit and yeah, yeah. that stuff? Yeah, so uh, as we were kind of wrapping up uh, our, the work we were doing targeting the updates, and, you know, we did a bunch of other things in the update timeframe as well. Um, you know, we made continued to make investments in our unit testing work, um, uh, created a bunch of new filtering capabilities. We shipped uh, a set of... Uh, Stubbing and emulator libraries for SharePoint. Uh, here's a here's a funny one. We clearly reacted to customer feedback um, by taking the fakes uh, product, right, which is uh, a stub and shims capability, and moving it down from the ultimate only SKU to the premium uh, SKU. Um, there's there's some customer feedback in action. Um, so we did a lot of various things like that that were all targeting kind of update one and update two. But as we started to kind of finish that up and start to think about, let's say update three, update four, and then the next release. Um, you know, we, we had been doing some, some design and creative work about how to uh, take information that people probably already have access to, but it may be hard to get, it may be too many clicks, it may be hard to find. Um, and typically when you do find it, it's, it's provided to you out of context. And take that stuff and bring it to where you are when you're working um, when you have the question. So um, that's what led to uh, a set of capabilities that people first saw in the uh, 2013 preview. And in the preview, it was called Code Information Indicators. It has been since now rebranded as Code Lens. And the idea behind Code Lens was to say, where, where do developers really work? What do they do? Well, they're in the editor, right in code. So that means when they have questions, when they have uh, when there's things they need to know about the code elements that they're looking at, that's where they are. That's where they need to see it, right? They don't want to have to open a tool window, click on a thing, which opens another tool window, click on another thing, which opens a full document window, which blocks out the view of the code they were looking at just to see something about maybe a change or a historical change to this method or what the references are or what the tests are that pass through here or maybe what the test status is, right? So that's what led us to this idea of code lens. Code lens is basically... Um, this little subtle, intentionally subtle line of, of, of text and, and icons that is smaller in font and kind of a little bit grayed out. It sits right above the code elements in your editor. It sits above the methods and the properties and the classes. And that line, we call it an indicator panel. 
that indicator panel um, is basically the host for a whole bunch of different indicators. And these indicators are like that ambient uh, data display idea. Um, heads up display is a, a totally good way to talk about it as well. That says, you know, Visual Studio has a lot of information about the code you're looking at. TFS has a lot of information about the system you're building. We can get that information for you and present it to you in a very uh, non-intrusive but interactive way right there in the editor. And so, you know, in the, uh, in the preview, we shipped with, I think, four or five indicators. And in RTM, we're going to ship with a few more that, um, that are all about that idea. So a couple of them that I can uh, tell you about. We've got um, the references indicator, which is, is very simple. <laughs> very, very simple. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same idea as the find all references dialog. Except right. if, you've, if you've used the find all references dialog, you know, you put your cursor on the method and you hit F12 or shift F12, whatever it is. And the tool window pops up at the bottom. Okay. And there's this giant yeah. list of text. It's a wall of text, right? Yeah. And you can then click on it. Okay. And what happens when you do that? Well, the window you're looking at goes away and another window pops up in front of it. And so then you start looking at that new thing and you hit shift F12 again. And the old list goes away and you got a new list and you're now looking at this new place and you browse your way along. And so far, so good, except you've lost all context of where you were. You have no idea. You lost where you started. Um, if you happen to just, you know, manually click over to another document or double click on something in Solution Explorer, that tool window is still open. But, you know, well, I'm sorry, those were the references for what again? Right. It, and it's this big wall of text. So we basically took the same kind of a model as find all references and we present that right in the editor, right above the method. So now you look at a method and it says above it six references in little gray text. And it tells you there's six. Okay. So that's an interesting data point in its own right. Right. You can look at that and, and without even doing anything else, you can get a sense of how uh, intertwined, how inter intermingled, how dependent are others upon this method. And that might be a data point you'd use, you'd think about. Uh, you know, if you're going in to fix a bug or add a feature and you find somebody that's got 67 references, okay, that means you're going to want to be careful, right? Because the whole friggin' world calls here. Right. So you're going to have to, as you think through your test cases for your bug, you're going to have to think about all those different callers and all the different ways they call you. And you have to make sure they're all satisfied. So you have to be more careful. If it's just one, <laughs> one reference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, that's, that's funny, Peter. I did not even think about that aspect of this you know I was, i've been looking at this and kind of wondering oh that's kind of neat it's uh you know kind of nifty uh makes the navigation goes faster but the the impact of making a change to that using that heads-up display for that you know because i was always wondering about the performance impact what you know, all this mm -hmm. stuff here for every method oh my god it's going to bring visual studio to a crashing halt um yep but thinking about it that way, that, that shines a whole new light on it. Episode 64, Radio TFS, is brought to you by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS ALM consulting. You can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy. That's www.sasmadeeasy.com or email sales at sasmadeeasy. Now back to the show. Our idea was to say that the indicator, that first little bit, you know, where it says six references, you know, that right. thing should be, cause should be almost like telling, like Visual Studio is telling you something. Okay. And that's maybe enough to get started on whether you want to do something different, but you're right. It, it's, it's kind of the, the first, the first, uh, the first, mo uh, first entry point, right? It tells you. Now, then if you're interested in knowing, well, okay, which six? So then you click on it 
Right. And a pop-up appears that shows you the six. Now, in the preview, the the that pop-up window was pretty bare bones, right? It just shows you these this big list, which looks a whole lot like find all references. We've actually done a lot of work to make that much more uh, usable and to group things in sensible manners and think about various ways you might want to filter it and stuff like that. So you guys are going to see uh, uh, that, that, that one's going to get a lot better. But now what you're doing is you've moved from tell to ask, right? It told you six. You asked for more information, and now you can see them and get a little bit more context about them. And then if you want, you can go to the third step, which is act. You can double-click on one and actually navigate to it, right? But you were, you were able to get a lot of information before navigating to it because when you mouse over it, we're actually going to show you in a little tooltip the text that's at the other end of that double-click. So you don't have to go. You don't have to leave the context of where you are to get a quick look at what the code looks like over there. You can just have a quick peek and and say, okay, yeah, no, that, no, don't care about that one. Don't care about that one. Don't care about that one. Oh, this one looks interesting. Double click. Go take a look at it, then pop back over and think about it, right? So yeah, but and then that that idea of using it in a way of of a very a rough order of, of, of impact assessment and, you know, how attentive do I need to be is, is a very interesting one and something we have heard people talk about using. So how, how did you mitigate any performance impact of these? Are these like lazy loaded, lazy updated? I mean, obviously I know you can turn them off. Each one of these has their own uh, uh, settings options where you can flick them yep. on and off and stuff. But, you know, say I've got a, you know, class with a lot of methods in it and, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of unit tests and, you know, TFS stuff and my TFS may be a little bit slow. And, you know, how is that mitigated? Well, um, you, you threw out a bunch of, did you this, did you that, did you this? And the answer <laughs> is, and the answer is yes. Um, we basically did everything you could possibly imagine. Um, we, we set as a goal, um, uh, you know, approximately zero impact um, as compared to uh, Visual Studio 2012. Um, so we measured things like, and we've got all kinds of crazy programs and scripts that do this for us, right? That, you know, hold down the down arrow button on a file that has 10,000 lines in it and a thousand methods and 10 classes, hold down the down arrow button. The editor should scroll perfectly smoothly with no impact, zero at all whatsoever. Um Type in random characters and hit enter in random crazy ways, like mess up the syntax and break it and then fix it and then up and down and then back and forth and do all that. We've got all these scripts that do all of this. And, you know, we were basically targeting a zero impact environment. We wanted this to be uh, to be out of your way, inobtrusive. We wanted it not to be annoying. That was like literally a design principle that was stated on day one was don't be annoying. Um and so, you know, if, if it slowed down your editor, if you felt it and, oh God, you know, right. you, you would get pissed and it would be annoying. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that we do. Um, I can give you a, f a for example, the references, the calculation that, that determines the references stuff is entirely out of proc. Okay. Okay. It's not running inside of Visual Studio space because in a really, really big solution, you can imagine that might consume a little bit of memory yeah. um, and, cy and cycles and other things. Uh, so, you know, we go, we're out of proc. Um, and it's all lazy loaded and it's all async. And in fact, you can test this and prove this by opening a fairly large solution and opening a file and looking where that line is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in the preview release that you will see that you guys have access to right now, right? It, you'll see that the blank space is there, but nothing is there yet. And then suddenly, blink, 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 the stuff will load in. Got it. Um, we've, done, we've actually done a bunch of work to improve that as well. So now what happens is the line appears. And for those indicators where we are certain that we are going to have some data, um, the indicator appears, but the value just says dash. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. For the indicators where we're not certain we're going to have data, and I mentioned, you know, we've got five, six, seven, or so, or eight or so of these things. Some of them don't always have data. Um, right. Then we uh, we basically don't show it until we get the ACK back that says, yes, we're going to have data and it's coming soon. And then it appears with its dash. And when the data arrives, we then paint it in. So yeah, we did a lot of work to try to make sure that this was a non-issue. Um, the references indicator, of course, is kind of that first easy, obvious one. We, we targeted kind of two other main scenarios. You can kind of think of that scenario as being um, uh, kind of static structure, right? Understanding the code. Um, one of the other scenarios is is just simple unit testing. You know, this has been an area of passion of mine forever and ever. I mean, to be completely honest, uh, unit testing is what brought me to Microsoft. Uh, I was a technical reviewer on Jim Newkirk's first N-unit book, mm -hmm. and then Jim hired Jim hired me into PNPs. So that's how I came in the door. Um, but you know, people want to be able to look at a test, and they don't want to have to open that test window. They want to know did it pass? Did it fail? And then if it failed, they 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 want to know right here why did it fail? And they might want to run it again right here, right? Um, we've seen a lot of tools that have put various glyphs and icons in the editor to let you have this kind of an experience. But now that we had this indicator panel, we realized immediately that, well, clearly we have to put an indicator in there for that. And we call that test status. So when you're looking at a test method itself, there's that well-understood little icon of, you know, the, the red X and the green check mark and wow. those various other icons. And it's right there in the editor. Um, but then one of the guys on our team had this interesting idea. He said, Okay, so we have this database of test status, and the references knows how everybody calls everybody else. What if we showed you on the system methods all of the tests that have references on it, right? Or mm -hmm. right, so that we can effectively find that that first order approximation of impacted tests, right? Right, right. Um, it's it's not like a full blown test impact where we actually run the full test suite and instrument it all and find all the the the, the thirty seven code paths that might get there. Because generally speaking, if you're writing unit or functional tests, right, your test spins up the object and calls it. Right. So that test is meant to call that method. That's what it's all about. Uh, so we we also then added that one, which we kind of we call the tested by indicator. And so now we're able to say, you know, you've got this test method that's you know foo test which calls method foo. So now when you're looking at foo, you're not only going to see references, you're also going to see a little test icon, same test icon, and all of the tests that make direct calls there, right? Basically the ones from the references list um, that make direct calls there. And so now very quickly, you can see the tests that call here are passing or failing. And then from there, while looking at that method, you can say run, and it'll only run the tests that call here. So you can you know, restrict yourself down to a nice controlled set and continue to work until that gets resolved out. Right. And and this is another one of those ask situations. If you are if you see that, you know, the test failed, you can uh, click on it, you can see all the tests and you can actually click on the test and navigate to that specific test method. Yep. Or you can click right from that pop up, you can click run all right. and it'll mm -hmm. run all six of those tests. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of that ask aspect of it. Yeah. Again, right. it's not it's it's not uh, you know test impact taken all the way to the logical extreme because you know this this can go down the road of you know how many deep do you go two three four twenty right how how deep is reasonable and we decided you know what <laughs> right. we're just going to say these are tests that directly reference the system done. Right. One call, direct calls. And we'll, we'll uh, follow kind of a build, measure, learn uh, thing here and let customers experience that and give us some feedback about, you know, maybe it should be two, maybe it should be three. Right. Clearly, we can navigate the graph to get that, but that all that starts to cost you, right? It starts to cost you in performance and time and also potential clutter because you might start to get things that you really don't care about in that list. So, mm -hmm. so those, those two then are kind of in that scenario group of, uh, of testing. 
Um, the, another scenario group that we targeted for this space um, are the ones that we kind of internally we call the collaboration uh, indicators. And these are ones that basically take the elements in your code and map them back into TFS. And there's a lot of interesting things we can do there. So, you know, the, the first and simplest one is basically to map it back into change sets. Now, this is something that you do sort of kind of have today, but it's hard to get. Because if you wanted to find out who are all the people who've changed this method, right. well, what are you going to have to do? You're going to run what it's called annotate, right? Right. Back in yeah, subversion. We, back, back in subversion, we called it blame, right? Yeah. I love that word. But... <laughs> um, so, you know, what we're going to do is, is we're going to have to go to that list, right, to get uh, to get the list of all the changes, right, or sorry, to, uh, for this file. And then we're going to have to go through and kind of hunt them down and find all the ones, all, all of the places where a change set, we have to scan up and down that list to try to find it all. So what we do instead is when you're running TFS 2013, we've added some new backend processing in TFS, which as the check-in arrives, we basically shred it in the exact same way that we shred it for references, nice. okay? We, we, it, it's kind of like you could think of it as compile it down to the AST, but don't bother making binaries, right? right. And then use that AST to, to, to try to determine all of the affected bits, right? Define so that means AST. Now, Define uh, AST abstract, for the... sy abstract syntax tree, right? It's what a compiler produces in advance of producing uh, assembly code, Got okay? It. And so now what we're able to do is we're able to Calculate that at check-in time and store that away. So later when you come back and say uh, class foo method bar, we may make an asynchronous call to the REST API that we have in TFS to, to give us the answer, and he sends it back to us. And now I can tell you that uh, the last person to have changed this method was Martin Woodward, and four other people did as well. And so in the indicator, it's going to say, you know, uh, seven changes, and it's going to say Martin Woodward plus four. And so what that's saying is Martin changed it last, and there have been seven total commits in the history of this team project that affected this method. Not, not worrying about file, not worrying about class, this actual method. So now you're able to very quickly look and see a, basically the history of the method, the code element. As developers, we tend to think about code elements. Version control systems think about files. Right. And so by, by having done this kind of shredding and cross-referencing and pre-calculation of the cache of that, we're able to answer those questions now very, very quickly. Um, and, and the reason we do it like that, so it, it will literally say seven changes, Martin Woodward plus four. The idea there is, again, that, that uh, tell, ask, act. So the tell is, you know, there have been seven changes here. Why is that interesting? Well, if you find a method that's got, you know, 167 changes in it, that means this method churns a lot, yeah. right? If you find one that's got two changes in it, right? It was written once, somebody did a single bug fix in it, and it's done. It hasn't touched, it hasn't been changed in forever. And then kind of when those happen might be interesting. So now you ask, you click on it pop-up comes up and you see that it hasn't changed in a year and a half. All right, it's probably pretty stable code, right? And then you see Martin Woodward plus four. So Martin changed it last, click, and now you see that same list with the authors in there and you can see who they are and see who the various people are. And, nice. um, and then you can, the, on the act side of this, now you, have a, you actually have a number of options. Um, like if you've ever tried to, uh, to look at the change set and a diff in a history and stuff, right? You go to the change set, you double click on it, the thing pops up on the side, then you find the file you care about, you double click again and the diff view opens. Well, we know what file you're in, we know what method you're on, we know what change set you want. So you double click inside our pop-up and we do all of it in one shot. The side window opens, 
the file opens at that version in diff view, scrolled with that method into view. So now very quickly, you can take a look at that diff, see what that change was, say, okay, good, close. Keep you in context, keep you moving quickly. But another act you might want to do is you might want to ping Martin and say, dude, what were you thinking? So we put a, we put a variety of, of kind of communicating and collaboration mechanisms uh, in there. Uh, everything from in the preview, you'll see there was uh, email in there. Um, but, uh, you know, we have... Uh, we've gone beyond that, is what I'll say, and uh, there are now there are there are uh, there are additional uh, communication and collaboration options uh, for you with Martin. And uh, as with the email and and any of these, we we know what change set you're looking at, we know what method we're looking at, so we can actually pre-populate the email message uh, or the chat message or whatever else it might be that we're sending. Great, great. So you've added the electroshock option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so- funny is you. You bring up that it makes it sound like punishment, right? And what's what I've had funny a few people say that I thought was kind of funny is um is you know if we were to go down the road of starting to add in uh, some some different static uh, measures, static indicators that are like you know tell me the cyclomatic complexity, tell me if it's getting better or worse, tell me the code health. If we went down that road, people were like, wouldn't it be kind of weird if you saw code health bad? And it's declining, and then next to that it says Martin Woodward. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just reality. I don't know what's bad about that. (laughs) So, Peter, I think we're coming up to. uh, I I think you've got to uh, take off here soon. So, I want to. I don't want to leave you hanging or. uh... You know, leaving in the middle of something. I can't believe we've got through a show with Peter Provost without talking about unit testing. This is not, no, not we, in great. We, we, talk, we did. We talked about unit testing. Yeah. Okay. We'll do another one with you sometime. Or we'll, we'll go oh, deep on. Ha- happy to. Cool. Yeah. We don't hey, do we'll, unit testing near enough. In your current. In, no, no sorry. On the show. We don't talk about on it the show. enough. Well, we'll, well, we'll get Peter let's, back. Let's do we'll, one. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks very much for your time, Peter. It's uh, always a pleasure having a chat to you. Oh, my pleasure. Um, we'll, Thank you for having me. No worries at all. We'll put in the show notes um, links to your, you know, your blog and Visual Studio Magazine articles and things. I was actually uh, doing a quick search and I was trying to think when I was first like read some of your stuff and I think it was probably I was looking and I think it was an article back in 2003. That would be about the right time when I was getting into the TDD community, test driven, you know, with test driven.net stuff. So that would have been around that time. That's crazy. Yeah, so, my uh, my blog still has those old posts in it. Every now and then I go and take a look at them and I can't believe some of the things I said. <laughs> yeah, but, hey, but, quite, but, but hey, it got me my MVP. Well, that's it. I also look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's also it was a lot easier back then as well. But the uh, <laughs> the um, yeah, it's it's crazy when you look back at some of those old posts. You think, man, look at that code. That was terrible code. What was oh, I yeah. doing? I mean, Effective C sharp. I think it was. Is that Bill Wagner's book? I remember reading that, and I was like, oh damn it. Every bit of code I've written up until now has been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll put a link into your band as well, Edgewater Live. So, oh sure. Uh, yeah cool right well thank you very much for your time thank everybody and if you've got any feedback uh then please do drop us a line radio tfs at outlook.com had some good feedback there we'll probably hopefully cover that in the next show but i might have a surprise for your next show and see if i can line that up and then um also if you want to leave us a voicemail that's uh plus one if you're not out not in the united states 425-233-8379 so yeah thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time on radio tfs